Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. This is User-Friendly 2.0. I'm your host, Bill Sickens. Joining me, Gretchen and Bill. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hello there. So how's your week going? Been doing all right. Good. Glad to hear it. Kind of, I'm, I'm trying to think how to answer that on my own front here. And Gretchen, I notice you're completely silent. So, yeah, I, I'm I, just I, insane. So, I'm assuming I'll the alternative is we have to believe what you say. So, it, you know, yeah. kind of. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, boy. Anyway, all right. We got a good show coming up for you this week. Our guest this week is from Travelers Insurance. They just uh, did a symposium here in Portland on cybersecurity. Joan Woodward is our guest. And she's going to be talking about what cyber insurance is and hacking and being cyber safe, cyber secure, or we're going to use that word a lot. I'm warning you coming up, but it actually is very important because uh, they're saying that we're going to run into these kind of attacks. It's just going to get worse. It's not going to get better. And systems that use this, if you don't have a plan in place and you're running a business or even using your home computer, it can cause a lot of problems and a lot of damage and something that you may not be able to easily recover from. So there's a good list of plans to put in place, things to do to kind of harden up what you've got. And then at the end of the day, insurance is a good thing for that that's becoming almost as popular as just general liability insurance and that type of thing is for a business. So she's going to join us and talk about that a little bit. A little later in the show, we're going to be talking about broken tech and some things you can do to protect your equipment with phones in some cases being well over $1,000 now and tablets being expensive. I mean, a medium-grade tablet's like five, 600 bucks now. And even if you get yeah. one of the smaller ones, it's two or 300 And warranties don't cover things like drops and smash screens usually unless you get the special accident stuff. So from that standpoint, you don't want to be out the money. No doubt. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on here. What do we have in the news this week? Well, apparently, Southwest Airlines has more technical issues. So over the holidays wasn't enough? No. I'm willing to understand <laughs> that they're supposedly saying that they're fixing this and putting some money into doing that. But it seems like, especially any airline that has technical problems, it's going to cause some delays and stuff. But for some reason, Southwest, when this happens, it just kind of perpetuates and shuts things down or delays things for the other day for the whole day that it's happening, or series of days, as we found out over the holidays. They're saying the flight delays were a result of data connection issues resulting from a firewall failure, which led to a brief ground stop, and that ground stop on Tuesday had delayed or canceled 1,820 flights, or 42% of its schedule for that morning. So that's what a brief ground stop, I guess, can do. Intense. And it's just... You know, I I don't know. Flying is not what it used to be. I used to like to fly on a plane. There are other ways that might be kind of fun to fly. I used to like Southwest. Yeah. And (laughs) um, things seem like they've changed. I know Southwest, the uh, area between your knees and the seat in front of you has been progressively getting smaller. They admitted to it finally about two years ago and said that they're going to go back to the old size. The problem is the planes that have been redone are not being reverted back. So if you happen to get on one of these that has very little space, you know, you think the like whole torture. experience is, I rode is very, in one very of different. I know. And it just, uh, you know, and then having these type of things, people need to get to where they're going. And one time, maybe you can forgive them. Yes, there was a big storm that weekend in December, and it affected a lot of different airlines. 
The other ones recovered when the storm was over. It took Southwest almost two weeks, and they're still having problems. So we'll see what happens. Artemis, the soccer-playing humanoid robot, is ready for the pitch. You know, I love robotics, and it's something that's kind of cool. And they're making a lot more of these humanoid-type robots. Amorphic, or I can't say that word, but anyway, it's a idea that it looks like a person, kind of. And that's what this one is. This is uh, stands four feet eight inches tall, uh, weighs eighty five pounds, and it plays soccer. And the idea here is to prove that what it can do. And the big thing about Artemis, while they're not going to enter him in the World Cup, I don't think. At least I don't think so. Is that his actuators, which are the devices that generate the motion within the robot, actually behave by lo- like biological muscles? So instead of being a motor or a solenoid, it generates its energy in the same way that we do as biological creatures. So this type of engineering can actually be used for quality of life and a number of other things, not to mention it makes the robot work better than a lot of the others that might be out on the market, at least a lot more human. And as these type of technologies are developed, good, bad, or otherwise, we're going to be seeing them a lot more in our day-to-day technology. We already kind of are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey, Google Maps changes Crimea's affiliation based on where you search. (laughs) So this this story was sent in by a listener. So I actually figured, okay, I'm going to go check it out and do a little research because that seems kind of interesting. And it turns out that if you search Crimea, Crimea, of course, is a province um, of Ukraine that the Russians have tried or they invaded. They're trying to claim um, a province being like one of our states. It'd be the same thing that someone invaded California and decided it was theirs. It's not. But if you go to Google Maps in Ukraine and search, it shows it as a province. If you go to Germany and uh, search, in some cases, it shows a line that separates it from Ukraine. Uh, might be labeled disputed territory. The same line exists on the Russian side. And then if you go to other places, it looks up other ways. So it's kind of interesting to see this. So digging in a little deeper, what I did is I got on a dark web browser, which you can uh, emulate being from different parts of the world. So like if you log on and get an ad in Oregon for stuff that's in Oregon, you can make the internet think that you're logging on from, oh, I don't know, Russia and see how it would be there. And it's very interesting because I couldn't get Google Maps, but the mappings, they've shut down there, but the maps I could get up showed Crimea and the disputed areas as actually part of Russia with the borders being drawn and there being no separation. And in one case, I found a map that showed Crimea as being its own country. <laughs> so, ah, well. <laughs> um, anyway. That's... Uh... So it's, <laughs> It makes you question things just a little bit, but it isn't just Google Maps we have to pick on here. Looking into this, printed maps, and especially in a lot of stores in Germany, apparently, have these same kind of errors. And it makes you kind of question, you know, what is the accuracy of this? But when the border changes, depending on where you're searching, obviously that's meant to appease somebody somewhere, you know? Yep. Meta is about to start its next round of layoffs. So questions come in all the time about this. They're laying off everybody in the tech industry. I'm here to tell you that that is not true. In fact, I'm trying to hire a PHP programmer right now. If you are one, please send me an email because I can't find anybody. And the job market is changing for tech. There's no question about it. But as fast as people are being laid off, they're being picked up by other companies. It is really, I'm not even seeing a reduction in the salaries. I think if it keeps going, we might see that just a little bit at some point. But 
you hear all these big numbers right now, and I, I, you're working in the tech industry. They're still like a year ago. You look on Monster. There's just as many positions available that people are looking for. And I'm here to tell you that we're not getting a lot of applicants even now. So if you're looking to go into technology, I think keeping an eye on all of this is good. I think that a big part of this is these companies really overhired during the pandemic. And it turns out a lot of them hired because they didn't want the other guy to get the good talent. And then these people were going to work for these companies, but had really nothing to do. They were just paid to kind of show up, you know, and go downstairs and play ping pong in the in the recreation suite. Uh, so, you know, that type of a thing is changing a little bit. However, if you're looking for a job in the IT industry, whether you're starting out or you have a lot of experience, don't let this cause you not to look. You're going to find a position and it's not going to be any more difficult than it was a year ago. Hey, you can finally buy Homer Simpson's Assassin's Sneakers. Oh, what was the name <laughs> of the car in that? The Camelero or something? I don't think we can buy that Canyon, yet. Canyon. Canyon. Canyon Arrow, yeah. Something like that. And actually, I'm being told by our producer that you can. Okay, so anyway, the Assassin's Sneakers were something that was on the Simpsons. This was to make fun of some of the shoes by companies like Nike and stuff where um, they're really expensive and might have a name of a celebrity athlete or something like that attached to them. Well, the Assassin sneakers apparently came with water pumps and built-in pedometers and all of this other stuff. Apparently, the ones that you can buy, while they look just like the ones in the cartoon, including the word Homer written on the back, they don't actually have the water pump or the pedometer. But they're still cool. I don't know <laughs> if they're worth the price, but they are still definitely cool. So, last item here is a photography contest winner reveals that his photo was AI-generated, so he rejects the prize. Because an AI-generated photo is not something that he would have created in this set of circumstances. And one of the things we're going to have a guest on for in about a month is AI ethics. And we're going to be talking a little bit about this, but the question actually does come down to it. Is AI a tool? You use an AI to write something or make a photo. Is that the same as doing it in Photoshop? Or is it something that is completely different? And this is a huge topic. At least this person owned up to it, but a lot don't. I know they're having trouble with papers in schools being written this way and whatnot. It's going to be an interesting topic coming up. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Check out our new website, userfriendlyshow.com. We've got everything there in a central location. We program on the questions you ask. Send us your questions. There's a blue Ask Your Question button there. We couldn't have made it easier, so we want to hear from you. Joining us now, Joan Woodward, who is the president of the Travelers Institute and the executive vice president of public policy at Travelers. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Bill. So tell me about the Travelers Institute. Sure. Um, well, back in 2009, I was approached by our current CEO, Alan Schnitzer, really with the exciting task to create a public policy division for the company. And so we wanted to be involved in the dialogue of matters that were important to the financial services sector as a whole, and certainly in the insurance industry. So uh, we are the educational informational arm of travelers. Um, and we really lead thoughtful, you know, conversations about the challenges we're facing today and into the future. 
So tell me a little bit about, you're, you are holding events, I understand, and uh, what are they and why are you holding the events? Sure. So we've held more than 750 events, bringing together policy experts, government officials, agents, brokers, university researchers, you name it, to ensure that we're providing the best resources information covering kind of today's hottest topics. So according to our latest Traveler's Risk Index, cyber insurance or cybersecurity risk remain the overall top business concern among uh, business owners. And hearing this, we really wanted to go out in the community and make sure businesses had the resources they need to be cyber secure. So we started about seven years ago on this journey. It's called uh, Cyber Prepare, Prevent, Mitigate, and Restore, which is a symposium series uh, that businesses could use to tackle evolving cyber threats. And, you know, we're really proud to partner with government agencies like the U.S. Small Business Administration, the Department of Homeland Security, and the FBI, really to help customers, agents, brokers, and community members deal with cyber threats and the cyber threat landscape. I know this is a key question we get in all the time from our listeners, too, and myself working as a programmer, face it. What can businesses do to address cybersecurity? Yeah, you know, we really uh, urge folks to take the first step, which is talk to your independent insurance agent. Uh, Given that an agent really understands your business, will help them determine your exposures, your risks, and the type of insurance coverages that can help you. Uh, They also can recommend methods or resources for how you can implement cybersecurity as part of an overall kind of business continuity plan. And we know from our work with the government and the Small Business Administration, they offer free resources to businesses looking to become more cybersecure. So we encourage those business owners out there really to reach out to government agencies. Um, I know it's hard to believe when people say, you know, we're from the government and we want to help. But the government has stood up, the federal government has stood up some really really fantastic, complimentary, free to anyone out there resources so they can help their businesses become more cyber secure. Now, cyber insurance, this is an area that maybe not a lot of our listeners even know is a thing. What does travelers offer for businesses when it comes to cyber insurance? And maybe comment on what that kind of a policy even does. Sure. You know, this is very complicated, but it's also very simple. Um, cyber insurance is there to protect your business. And we have coverages available for businesses of any size. It can cover uh, reasonable expenses for things like remediation, notification if you've been hacked, card payment penalties, crisis management, public relations. And it also can provide financial protection in the event that a lawsuit should be filed against a company by a customer whose data may have been lost or shared. And You know, cyber criminals are very sophisticated. They will go after a business knowing what type of ransomware could be paid. They get in your systems for, you know, many months looking around. Uh, You don't even know potentially that a cyber criminal is in your uh, data and looking at your system. So it is, uh, it's a very, very good tool to protect your business. So large companies, you know, we've heard about hacks, Home Depot, Target, and a whole bunch of other things in recent years. It seems like every week there's something new coming out. Are small companies less likely to, or less vulnerable to cyber risks, and are they less likely to purchase this kind of insurance? Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a really great question because small companies may assume or think that cyber criminals only target big firms, but that's not true. Many cyber criminals see significant opportunity 
in a small business that may not have the resources or the controls in place really to protect themselves. So, you know, there are many type of breaches that can happen every day. And we are often hearing about massive cyber breaches. These are not the only types of cyber risks that exist. So small business owners um, can really uh, protect their business just by taking a few uh, simple steps, uh, talking to an insurance agent about getting some coverage. And that could be life-saving for a small business who could be put out of business, uh, even by a small, smaller hack. I mean, you know, at a very basic standpoint, these kind of things could destroy your reputation and it goes goes from there. You know, okay, so we're based in the Portland, Oregon area, as you know, and, and our market here, I understand that you put out a survey to the small, mid-sized businesses in this area. What did you find? Are we prepared or do we have work to do? Yeah, we, uh, well, first of all, we were in town today, uh, this week, and we had about 250 business owners uh, at our symposium, our live symposium. But before we come to a town, we'd like to take the pulse of a town. So we found that in Portland, business leaders have adopted a variety of tactics to foster that cyber hygiene within their businesses, like computer passwords update, firewall, virus uh, protection, and so on. But we found that a little more than half use multi-factor authentication, or MFA, which is a proven way to be more cyber secure. Um, MFA is a security method, requires two or more authentication factors for that person to verify the identity. So uh, Microsoft recently released an article a few years back said that 99.9% of cyber attacks can be blocked with use of an MFA. So we really encourage uh, business leaders to do that. We also found in our survey that half of those in the Portland area business owners believe that their company or organization would eventually fall victim to a cyber attack. That's a lot, um, but only 27% of those, those business owners believe that they really understood enough about cyber crime to serve their customers and keep their businesses safe. And so you know, when we asked them uh, if they wanted as much information as possible to help protect, three quarters of them said yes. And that's why we're here today. We're in the Portland area trying to really help those business owners become cyber hygiene clean so they could prevent an attack. I mean, this is definitely something that applies across the board. You don't have to be a computer company to use computers. Of course, we all do in one aspect or another. So I could see where that would be coming from. But from those, what you're saying, it sounds like we do have work to do. And um, definitely would want to get out there and get more information and be able to, you know, put together something. It would seem like getting this type of insurance would also give you a couple of steps to be able to figure out some, you know, basic things that you can do and that type of a thing. So we're going to go to a break here in just a moment. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about who are the cyber attackers, who do they target, and how much can this cost your business if you're not prepared? This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We're having a conversation with guest Joan Woodward, who is the president of Travelers Institute and the executive vice president of public policy at Travelers about cybersecurity. And I'm going to just dive back into this with another question that has come in is who are the cyber attackers? What do they want? Who do they target? Where are these people from? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, cyber attackers can come from anywhere. 
They include hackers, state-sponsored groups targeting the infrastructure of banks or healthcare companies or utilities, or hacktivists, which mean they break in for political reasons. So any business that has access to a customer's personal financial information is really a target, small or large businesses. And we've seen a lot more recently in terms of these hackers going after the smaller businesses. What are the costs? I mean, I know that's an open-ended question, but what are the costs of a cyber attack? You know, a single breach, a cyber breach can result in significant cost, and the damage is not limited to lost data. It can also extend to the loss of customers' confidence, financial harm, legal challenges, and really business interruptions. So in addition with dealing uh, with the cost of the breach, including forensic, notification cost, and more, um, there's also reputation. And if you're a business owner out there, the most important thing, of course, is your reputation. And you don't want to be known as a cyber vulnerable business. And there's lots of things you can do to become uh, much more resilient uh, to a cyber attack. Cyber vulnerable, and it's a good question. What kind of companies are most vulnerable to a cyber attack? Um, You're not going to want to hear this answer, but all companies are vulnerable to a cyber attack, regardless of their size. That's why it's important to really understand the risks and foster a culture of security across your employees. So having those phishing tests go out, send an email to see if people are going to click on a website, um, you know, frequently, not just once a year, but maybe quarterly is something we uh, suggest. But creating a culture of security uh, within your employee base and across your business is a is a terrific way to start. Cyber security insurance. What does a typical policy like this cover? Yeah, so a cyber insurance policy can help protect a business from losses related to its computer systems or data. So think about the losses can include costs to respond to a data breach, funds stolen through social engineering or other computer-related fraud, expenses in recovering from a ransomware attack, or lost income. As a result of a cyber incident, you know, your systems could be down for days, weeks, maybe even months. So a cyber insurance policy can also help protect against third-party risks, such as lawsuits or regulatory fines and penalties after a data breach. And, you know, many cyber insurance policies also provide pre-breach services, that is to help businesses avoid a cyber incident, which this is the most important thing if anyone, if your listeners gets out of this. We want you to avoid that cyber incident, and such as a security assessment or an employee's employee awareness training. That's also critically important to make sure all employees are all in on being cyber aware. So as these issues increase, cyber breaches and all that, what is important for business decision makers to know? Pretty simple. Be very proactive. That's really important from the CEO downward. It's critical and crucial that businesses educate employees and put those proper risk management systems in place. Of course, most importantly, to ensure that a company has the proper protection uh, by, again, seeking out insurance coverage and making sure you have the right coverage, which is where your, you know, an independent insurance agent uh, of your choice can come in to help you make those decisions. We've got about a minute here to go. Let us know if there's anything else you want our listeners to know and how they would find an appropriate agent, I think would be a good question that can issue this kind of insurance and would even know about how to do it. So check us out at travelersinstitute.org. 
for lots of resources for your business to become cyber uh, hygiene uh, appropriate and uh, lots of resources, excellent tools there, travelersinstitute.org. But there's lots of other ways uh, to reach out to travelers to figure out what's best for you. And we're here to help. Uh, We're a very large business insurance company, commercial insurance. We have all sorts of products out there to cover all sorts of businesses who may be vulnerable. And um, again, it's an evolving risk. We see every day uh, cyber criminals are more sophisticated. And so uh, it's, again, critically important to reach out to government entities who are there to help you, as well as your insurance carrier like Travelers. We'll put that out on our social media. So if you're driving right now, don't stop and try to write it down. That's dangerous, too. Just check out one user-friendly Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn or userfriendlyshow.com, and we can get you that information. Joan, thank you so much for joining us today and all of this wonderful information. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Gretchen, Bill, did you know that this right now is where you need to be very careful about keeping your phone safe? No, I didn't know that. (laughs) This week's Tech Wednesday, we're talking about this a little bit. And it's an interesting thing. The experts don't really know why, but April is the month where it's more likely that you're going to break your mobile device, your phone. But that also isn't restricted to that. Laptop, tablets, all of that are up something like 17% over March. And almost 50% if you take the year as a whole. In May, it starts to drop off again, and things are a lot safer over the course of the year until you get back to the uh, next April. So, um, you know, it's an interesting thing. There's a lot of things you can do to actually keep your device safe, and one of them is things like cases and that kind of stuff. You know, a way to secure it. Smash screens seem to be the biggest thing that happens, so something that protects your screen is a good thing. On the average, we drop our phones four times a week. Really? I don't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Another maybe interesting I'm here, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I have to think about that with mine, too. I, I, maybe I do. I don't know. I really haven't thought about it. But since the days of the, uh, what was it, 3Com, I, not iPads, those old devices we used to have. Uh, uh, that had the Yeah, Blackberries and all of that. I know if you drop those, you usually would damage the screen. And I did on a couple. iPack. That was the name of the one I had. Okay. And, um but since we've gotten the new those. phones with Gorilla Glass and all the other stuff they have in them now, it's all less likely that you're going to break it. But it still is definitely possible. So, you know, getting a case, USB port failures is another big one. And that kind of a thing is, you know, it's a mechanical device. You're plugging in cables. So plugging and unplugging can wear that out over time. But if you're careful and don't bang it into something, one of the areas that I've seen this is, Someone will have the charger or USB cable plugged into their phone and then set it down and set it on the bottom so it actually cracks where the plug is plugged into the device. And those kind of problems can be very difficult to work around because all of a sudden you may not be able to charge it. In fact, unless you had wireless charging capability as well, you wouldn't be able to charge it. You can't download data and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, a big part of it is just that to think about what's going on. These things are expensive and you really don't want to... um, damage them. The other big thing that screws up electronics, especially like laptops, is also things like dropping them. 
And those can have effects that you might not see immediately. And then on down the road, something like the screen stops working or something goes wrong in that kind of a capacity. And they're really subject. You just want to be, you just want to be careful with all this stuff. Things like don't leave your phone in the sun. Don't expose it to water, excessive heat, debris. Isn't and that kind of the other true things, for all electronics? Like, don't leave your camera in the sun. Don't, you know, all that stuff. It yeah. just seems like it doesn't like the sun. Pretty much, pretty much. In fact, it's a good idea that unless you have something that's specially designed to be water resistant or dust resistant or designed to be used outside, those kind of things can definitely shorten the life of the device a lot. Oh, yeah. And it just is a matter of... uh of where it can be, you know, where it can be done and where it can be put and all that kind of a thing. But yeah, April's the month for it, and it is definitely um, a time to watch out for your stuff. You know, our last interview that we just got done with John Woodward, she was talking about cyber insurance, and hacking right now is, as it has been for many, many years, a big deal, but it's not just the United States where we're seeing this. Uh, the Dutch Intelligence Agency has come out with a report that makes it look like this is not going to be getting any better anytime soon, I think is the best way to put it. And that's not good. They're, talk they're talking about things from state actors. There's a lot of worry about China right now to uh, cyber attacks, espionage, sabotage, organized crime, and the list goes on and on. And yay, all such happy topics. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so oh, I know it, but believe me. And it's, it's something to be concerned about because Things like some of these threats where somebody will get into your system and lock it down and then ransom, you know, ransomware where they'll want money to unlock it. And the thing of it is, is a lot of times, even if you pay the money, you have no idea what the status of the computer is going to be after that because you don't know how good it is or if they're going to take your cash and even just uh, go off with it and say thank you and, and not release it. So these hacking things are something that's very important to consider. And have a plan, keep things secure. Another announcement that came out this week is Chrome has a zero-day vulnerability, the browser. And it affects pretty much all the platforms it's on. It's a thing in there where the bad guys can put out code in their website that you wouldn't even know about that can execute local uh, computer code on your computer. Uh, thus getting them around security and some other things or doing stuff that you don't want. So what do we need to do? Well, in the case of the Chrome, update it immediately. There's going to be an auto-update coming out pretty soon, but the browser itself, you can update. You click on the three dots, and there's an option in there to be able to check for updates. The other thing oh, it'll okay. do is prompt you, and it, it uh, handles updates automatically besides that, too. So there's a couple of different ways to deal with it. Hmm. Do you have to do that on your tablets and phones, too? The hack that's out there seems to be affecting more of the desktop versions of Chrome, and it's not Android, it's the Chrome browser specifically. So again, I always recommend checking for updates. Normally, it will prompt you automatically. In this particular case, it's something that they didn't know about until after the hackers had gotten a hold of it, which is why the urgency is here in updating. But usually, a good rule of thumb is just to make sure your auto-updates are turned on and you allow for that process to happen when it needs to. The phone is a lot more invasive about it. When you actually get an upgrade to like the Android operating system, you get a prompt right on top of what you're doing that there's an upgrade and you should update. And you can delay it up to three times and then it just does it. So uh, they don't pull around as much on that. <laughs> but, um, hmm. you know, again, it's just having a plan. And if you're running a company like Joan was talking about, 
You need to look at mitigating as much as possible, doing whatever you can to keep everything secure. And then if all of that doesn't work, they recommend the cyber insurance policy that can help pay for things like getting your, your reputation back. You know, if there's damages from that standpoint, downtime. And keeping in mind that when these get into business systems, because everything is so computerized now, you're not just talking about losing access to your desktop computer. The phones don't work. The email doesn't work. You can lose all communications from the company for a period until you're able to get things restored. And in the meantime, your customer files can be exposed and that data can get out and you might not even know about it until your system's back online. So it is definitely an important thing to consider and follow some of the tips that she gave earlier and be cyber security aware of all the different things that are going on. This Good is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Another great show this week. You know, Joan Woodward and travelers and cybersecurity are such a big deal right now. And the whole idea of cyber insurance and the things related to what that covers, I think, is almost something that you have to look at if you run a business that does anything with computers, whether that be an actual software company or just something where you use a computer as the cash register. This is becoming much, much more important. So a lot of good tips there. And as we go on, this is just going to become a bigger deal. So it's something we all need to think about. So a show that you and Jeremy talked about previously, I know, was called Shadow and Bone. And I believe that's on Netflix. Yes, it is on Netflix. And I understand they're dropping a new season or what's going on? Okay, so um, finally, the second season has arrived. And, um, (laughs) well, it's pretty good. (laughs) Let me explain exactly what shadow and bone is at least from my perspective it's kind of like a magic steampunk um setting that looks like uh centered in eastern europe with elements of asia um okay. a real broad range of characters but it has that real steampunk feel to it and um, there's a lot of magic and some pretty cool special effects with some of the scary things that are going on. And our bad guy, um, let's see, our bad guy, who is played by Ben Barnes, he's pretty amazing. And apparently he got some kind of um, an award for uh, from IMDb, you know, for his portrayal. But a lot, all of the characters are really fascinating, and I think they're well acted. The lead girl um, played, um, her name's Alina Starkov, is played by Jessie Mai, Miley. Not sure if I'm okay. pronouncing her name correctly. She does a really good job, and, and she's, she's the forefront between her and the bad guy. I don't want to give anything away because the, this second season is not completed. So I don't want to, you know, for fans, I don't want to do any spoilers. Um, So it's more like just more of these characters. You get more development from the cause character uh, by Freddie Carter, who he he comes off like a like a modern version of a James Cagney type character. Okay. And and then those of you who want your young and flirty um, Kit Young plays a Jesper Fahey. He's kind of like a gunslinger, but he's not really a gunslinger. 
there's some special things you'll find out about him uh, in the second season. So is this and one that's good for the kids or um, adults? No, I, I, yeah. I, I would, I'm, I, you know, teenagers would probably want to watch it because there is nudity and there's violence. And, okay, you know. so that kind of a thing. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. you know, a character named Cause has got to be good, in my opinion. All right, check it out on Netflix. This is User Friendly 2.0. Until next week, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User Friendly 2.0 is copyright 2023, User Friendly Media Group, Inc. All rights reserved. Views expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting and technology provided by wearetechnology.com. Listen at theanswerportland.com, userfriendlyshow.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts.